Welcome to a nonfiction story cast about people in Seattle who built churches and how they did it. I'm Cindy Safranoff. I'm the author, and this is Dedication, building the Seattle branches of Mary Baker Eddy's church, a centennial story. Part 2, Episode 1, Pivotal Moment. 1929. The Christian Science Church in the University District was in financial trouble even before the stock markets collapsed and the world economy sank into what has since been called the Great Depression. By early 1929, the members of Third Church of Christ Scientist Seattle were actively discussing the issue of the debt still owed on their church edifice. The increasing frequency of their meetings through the summer months indicated the increasing urgency of their situation. Christian scientists throughout the city had likely been aware of the problem for many months because it impacted them too, directly or indirectly. Some friendly pressure may have been exerted on Third Church to pay off the loans, because Third Church owed a debt to many of them, and payment was overdue. However, considering the history of this religious community in Seattle, it might be alternatively seen that the Seattle-area Christian scientists owed a debt to Third Church. Twenty-two years earlier, a resolution had been made for cooperative funding, following the Chicago example that was set under the leadership of Reverend Mary Baker Eddy. The Seattle Agreement happened enough years earlier that it may have been largely forgotten. However, the fiscal crisis at Third Church provided an opportunity to revisit earlier ways and means and reconsider them. Christian science was still relatively new, but by 1929, it had reached a significant level of maturity It had been 50 years since Reverend Eddy founded the First Church of Christ Scientist in Boston to reinstate early Christianity and its lost element of healing. It had been 40 years since her student, Julia Field King, introduced the Christian Science Healing Practice to Seattle. It had been 30 years since Christian Science teacher Alan H. Armstrong arrived and the number of local professional Christian science practitioners began increasing exponentially, and so did the number of people attending Christian science church services. It had been nearly 20 years since Eddie, their pastor emeritus and leader, passed on, leaving her followers to continue her church organization under her perpetual guidance through simple bylaws in her church manual a document similar to the United States Constitution in its minimalist approach, and her Christian science textbook, Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, and her other published writings. Eddie also left an example for how to build a church. It had been 35 years since the completion of the first Church of Christ Scientist in Boston, Mary Baker Eddy's Church, commonly known as the Mother Church. Christian scientists generally knew a lot about that remarkable building project because Joseph Armstrong, the director in charge of the project, 
wrote a book about it that was published by the Christian Science Publishing Society and sold at their publishing outlets throughout the world, Christian Science Reading Rooms. This story of how extraordinary challenges were met through prayer provided proof of the unlimited possibilities of the practical application of their spiritual teachings, an inspiring example of overcoming challenges of every kind, and a model for building Christian science church edifices. The date carved into the granite cornerstone, 1894, at the time was so widely known as a year of a severe economic depression that the date held special significance, like what the year 1929 would later come to mean. That they successfully completed and paid for the elegant stone edifice in only one year, following the directive from Reverend Eddy, was a monumental accomplishment in itself, as anyone would know who has ever been involved in any kind of construction project, even in the best economic climate, And to have accomplished this during a period of severe economic depression made it all the more extraordinary. The board of directors of the Mother Church had successfully demonstrated the practice of Christian science in a very public and committing way. But they had not succeeded in isolation. They had help from Christian scientists all over the world, generous financial contributions, both for the original Mother Church edifice and the much larger auditorium completed in 1906, called the Extension. Margaret Williamson recorded the story of the Extension Building Project that was also sold at reading rooms. Their ways and means were studied and discussed by building committees at branches of Mary Baker Eddy's church throughout the world during the building booms that followed both Boston building projects. The first permanent Christian science church edifice in Seattle was patterned after the Mother Church extension in many ways, including its astounding cost. Interest in Christian science and church attendance was growing so rapidly during construction that out of necessity, new branch churches were formed in the outlying districts to take the overflow. By the time the Stone Temple for First Church of Christ Scientists Seattle was completed in Capitol Hill in 1914, there were five other branch churches in Seattle, including the one in the University District called Third Church. But before the new branch churches were formed, at a pivotal moment in 1907, the members agreed to cooperatively support all future building projects. Their agreement was in the form of a resolution, a series of statements outlining a general approach for the entire body of Christian scientists in Seattle, individually and collectively, to unite in energetically supporting the construction of the Capitol Hill Church. And then, when the newer branch churches were ready to build, the entire church body of Christian scientists in Seattle shall again unitedly cooperate in the erection of their edifices, which should be treated in every way co-equal to First Church, thereby establishing Christian science in Seattle in complete unity. However, the unity resolution was only partially fulfilled. The new branch churches kept their promise to First Church, 
supporting its construction project financially as though it were their own, but only until the church was open for services. After that, each church funded its own building project independently, with only occasional financial gifts from one branch to another. First Church was left with a huge mortgage, and nearly all the other Seattle branch churches also ended up with huge mortgages. The cooperative approach continued in other ways, however, through the many joint activities. The first formalized joint church committees were initiated in 1912. That, too, was a pivotal moment. Eddie had recently passed on, and in the midst of a storm of negative publicity about Christian science, the likes of which had not been seen before in Seattle, news commentators were loudly predicting the demise of the whole Christian science church structure without its strong leader at the helm. Christian scientists in Seattle began working together in earnest. They developed a democratic system for managing their joint activities while still respecting the requirement in Eddie's rules in the church manual for each branch church to be self-governed and not controlled by any other. The churches survived and thrived, and their joint activities continued and expanded. By 1929, there were 12 Christian science churches in Seattle, and most had built edifices, some of them very expensive. Each building project had its challenges, but the University District Church more than most. Despite having large attendance from its very first services in 1914 and continuous growth, fundraising for the Third Church building project had been especially difficult. The district demographics was typical of university communities. Cash-strapped college students and their financially burdened parents, low-paid academics, and graduates just starting their careers had less money to contribute to Sunday collections, and the youthful new congregation received few bequests. Furthermore, during the six years of their building project, they endured a world war, a pandemic, and the divisive period of court cases between church officers in Boston, later dubbed the Great Litigation. Third Church began its construction project with the expectation that funds would become available when they were needed from their own members. But midway through their building project, lacking sufficient funds, their building on the prominent boulevard near the entrance to the University of Washington campus stood only partially constructed for more than a year, with exterior walls and roof, but no windows or doors. The original budget for the University District building was a relatively modest $80,000, but costs increased during construction. When the pipe organ, carpeting, furniture, hymnals, lighting fixtures, and all the other finishing details were added in, plus financing and insurance, the final cost was closer to $160,000, twice the original budget, almost as much as the original Mother Church. The building committee members studied Joseph Armstrong's book on the building of the Mother Church and initially tried to pay as they went with funds on hand following the Boston Standard for Christian Science Building Projects. 
But whereas the Boston Project received generous financial support from Christian scientists all over the world, and First Church in Seattle received support from all the churches in Seattle, the U District Church was essentially on its own. In 1920, in the midst of its building struggles, Third Church drew up a plan to revive cooperative church funding and proposed it to the other Seattle branches. To initiate the effort, Third Church made the commitment to contribute one collection a month to First Church and encouraged all the other local churches to do the same. Soon after it received the boost of extra financial support from the other churches, First Church paid off its mortgage and celebrated with dedication services, to which all Christian scientists in the area were cordially invited. But the proposal from Third Church for continuing cooperative funding received such mixed responses that it did not move forward, although it inspired a few contributions by individual churches. Third Church ended up borrowing money to complete its building project, but they even had challenges getting a loan. They could not get a conventional mortgage from the bank. Instead, they sold investment bonds to individuals, mostly to local Christian scientists and their friends. By the time the building was completed in 1922, they had borrowed almost $100,000. The total amount of debt per member was huge equivalent to about 20% of the value of a typical house in Seattle, or the cost of an automobile at a time when cars were a luxury item very few people could afford. The bonds were issued at 7% interest, requiring mortgage payments of about $416 a month, at a time when their monthly income from Sunday collections was not much more than that and they needed almost as much to cover the operating expenses of the church. These reluctant borrowers learned, too, that debt carries additional costs. Over their first six years in their new building, they paid $30,000 in interest alone. At the start of 1929, Third Church still owed $50,000. Their five-year bonds were in their seventh year. Hence the reason the terms of the bonds became the most urgent issue for the church. There was a flurry of special business meetings related to the bonds and their ongoing budget deficit as members recognized an urgent need to pay off their debt. Seattle had already seen one Christian science church fail from financial issues. The original third church formed in 1909, disbanded shortly after it began, providing a rare example that even while the Christian science movement was rapidly growing and the economy was strong, establishing a church and keeping it going was not easy. Because of the numeric naming system used for Christian science churches, the demise of the original third church had left a conspicuous gap in the Seattle church listings, in the local newspapers, and the worldwide directory in the Christian Science Journal. The missing number was a persistent reminder of the possibility of failure. When the University District Christian Science Society incorporated and took the name Third Church, 
1916, the gap was filled. The number sequence was made whole again, and the public evidence of fallibility was erased. But in the fall of 1929, Seattle seemed in danger of losing another third church. If third church failed, it would fail spectacularly. Its stately brick and terracotta neoclassical building going on the auction block would likely make national news. Such an event would give critics of Christian science a newsworthy opportunity to speak against Mary Baker Eddy and once again predict the failure of her church organization. Third Church might become a cautionary tale for members at other Christian science churches, discouraging new building projects long into the future and encouraging a more fiscally conservative approach to church activity, even while the economy was strong. Financial market adjustments in early 1929 were concerning, but not yet causing widespread panic. Stock market returns had been so lucrative for so long that more people were investing and making bigger gambles, confident in their prospects for big gains. Seasoned investors who had lived through many previous economic depressions, including the big one in 1894, may have suspected that, like the weather, Sometime, the economy would change for the worse, but no one could have predicted the severity and length of the storm that was then beginning. A worldwide economic depression the likes of which could hardly be imagined. It remained to be seen whether Christian scientists at other churches in Seattle would offer support to Third Church, and if so, what form it would take. Since each Branch Church was self-governing. Any proposed action was subject to a democratic decision-making process that was slightly different for each branch church, was sometimes difficult to direct, and could potentially take a long time to work through. The Seattle Christian Scientists had the additional challenge of no longer having the unifying influence of Christian Science teacher Alan H. Armstrong. For 30 years, Mr. Armstrong had been quietly active behind the scenes, directly and indirectly instructing, encouraging, and guiding local church members. All the Christian Science Church edifices in Seattle had been built during his career. Armstrong passed on in the spring of 1929, just as the financial markets were becoming unstable. Local church members could no longer look to him. It was another pivotal moment, one that would influence the development of the local Christian science community for the next 50 years. Thanks for listening to Dedication by me, Cindy Safranoff. All events and characters in this story are as true and accurate as the available sources. All opinions are mine. To support and learn more about this groundbreaking research project and read my writing, visit cindysafranoff.com.